relevant to today just as relevant as when it was recorded and I feel like it really represents the episode today because we are talking about the assassination of Fred Hampton and you may have heard this episode on somebody else's podcast or this information before but I really like to break it down myself and The truth will be revealed. We are going to look at autopsy results and the circumstances surrounding his death and come to the logical and necessary conclusion that this was a political assassination. So, of course, let me know what you think of this episode. Um, We're going to just dive right in. Let's go. So I recorded this another time, actually like two other times, and I wasn't satisfied with it. I didn't 
feel like I was bringing the fire. And lucky for you, your favorite podcast host is a complete control freak and a perfectionist. So just know that these episodes have a lot of passion put into them and I don't play around. I want it to sound good. I want it to be interesting and I want it to be captivating. And so we are talking about Fred Hampton today. And he was the national spokesman of the Black Panther Party who was assassinated. And I know a lot of people have covered this. I believe there's even a movie about this. But in case you're unfamiliar, I would like you to hear it from me. So we're going to start with the fact that his cause of death was multiple gunshot wounds and how they've set it up to make everyone believe that it was this massive um shoot off between Fred Hampton and the police department, but I'm going to prove to you that it was an assassination and let's go on and read the official verdict. So Fred Hampton was shot while assaulting police officers during a raid. Police said that they attempted to peacefully serve a warrant and were met with massive gunfire from inside the apartment, so they fired back. Police testified that in excess of 200 shots were exchanged in a two-sided gun battle that lasted approximately 10 to 12 minutes. And you know how we do here on Cosmic Peach Podcast. What a load of bullshit. Here are the actual circumstances. The raid was actually a massive police assault by a special tactical unit of 15 Plain closed officers with everything from machine guns to sawed off shotguns. And contrary to knocking the door to serve a warrant, they actually stormed into Fred's apartment from both the front and back at 4.45 in the morning with guns blazing. Ballistic evidence reveals that only one shot came from inside the apartment which was fired directly into the door and did not wound anyone. All other gunfire was from police, directed at those inside. Fred was drugged by an FBI informant and was totally unconscious during the raid. Fred was shot in bed while unconscious, then dragged out of bed and still alive, was then executed by a police officer with two shots to the head at point-blank range. So, here are some inconsistencies that prove Fred Hampton was assassinated. So, Fred was rendered completely unconscious prior to the police raid. Medical testing revealed he was drugged with a very high dose of a strong barbiturate. What does that sound like? So he was slipped the drugs by a confessed FBI informant, and he remained unconscious from the time he went to bed. Witnesses confirmed that he never woke up, let alone fired a weapon. Forensic expert Dr. Cyril Weck was shocked when he viewed Hampton's blood findings and said, and I quote, Hampton's blood samples contained incredibly high levels of seconal or secobarbital, 4.5 milligrams per decililiter, in fact. 
about four times the amount considered toxic and potentially lethal, end quote. As Dr. Wyke notes, the seconal level is very important evidence that's been overlooked. If this toxicology report is true, then Fred Hampton was in a very deep sleep or even in a stuporous state at the time the police raided his apartment. If that's the case, then there's no way he could have been shooting a gun, let alone initiating a gunfight. And if this is true, then the police have been lying from the beginning and this whole operation may have been nothing more than a political assassination. Dr. Weck immediately recognized that the bullet trajectories tell a quite different story than the official police version. Quote, if these trajectories were correct, then Hampton was not standing up facing the officers when he was shot. Rather, he was lying on his back and the officer who shot him was standing directly above him and slightly to his right. Now, I've seen a photo of the police officers carrying out Fred Hampton's body on the stretcher in the body bag and they're fucking laughing and smiling like it's just a good old time and it makes me sick to my stomach it's it's really hard for me to even look at stuff like this especially knowing now what they did to him and here is a quote from an FBI special agent Greg York quote we expected about 20 panthers to be in the apartment when the police raided the place only two of those black inward fuckers were killed Fred Hampton and Mark Clark. Reading that quote is nauseating and I censored myself because I don't use that kind of foul language. Another quote, attorney Jeffrey Haas. Fred understood that he was a marked man. That's pretty sad. Um, and I don't know if he really understood how marked of a man he was considering the assassination. But so now Dr. Cyril Weck, quote, as the old law enforcement saying goes, even the most carefully thought out crimes, a criminal will make a mistake. I suppose it is no different when police officers become criminals, end quote. Yes, Dr. Cyril Weck, I agree with you. If you want to find it, the evidence is always there. So let's now talk a little bit of Fred Hampton's character and who he was. Fred Hampton was a gifted student and athletic star who planned on becoming an attorney. He graduated with honors from his high school in Chicago and gradually became politically active. Hampton came to embrace the philosophy of self-defense as a legal and intelligent response to racism and overt political oppression. His murder by the police is perhaps the best example of the organized oppression he sought to socially overcome. It was as if to prove his point. So Hampton studied pre-law in junior college and used what he learned to employ justice in his own neighborhood to combat police brutality in poor urban neighborhoods of Chicago. Hampton and his fellow group members followed police around in the city to let them know that their actions were being monitored by residents. So when the Black Panther Party came along, it was the perfect vehicle for Fred Hampton. Much contrary 
to how it was intentionally displayed to the public and in the media, the Black Panther Party was actually a political defense organization. And if you didn't fuck with them, they didn't fuck with you. Their complete name was actually the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And they advocated and maintained a strict no-drug policy, personal or otherwise, and stressed a 10-point program that advocated strong educational principles, community health centers, political activism and education, a free breakfast program, and other assistance for those who needed it most. And as Doc Satchel once stated, founder of the Chicago Black Panther Health Clinic, Quote, the Panthers were an armed propaganda unit that raised the contradictions, set the example, and provided the vehicle that the people could ride to revolution. We do not say the Black Panther Party will be overthrowing the government. We heighten the contradictions so the people can decide if they want to change the government, end quote. So Hampton ended up galvanizing national attention by engineering a strategically brilliant alliance between the Panthers and other groups. The first and most important was a non-aggression pact between the Black Panthers and the major gangs that controlled the streets of South and West Chicago in neighborhoods so tough that the police were literally afraid to enter. The truces with these huge groups, the Black Stone Rangers, over 5,000 members, and particularly with the Black Disciples, almost 6,000 members, allowed the Panthers to recruit in the roughest, toughest neighborhoods of Chicago, which contained the ripest audience for new members. This brilliant coup instantly supercharged Panther membership and solidified an incredible power base at the heart of the movement, which were the poorest of the inner city people and composed of much disenfranchised minorities. It was actually Fred Hampton, not Reverend Jesse Jackson, who first used the term Rainbow Coalition. His coalition included not only the Black Panthers and the city's two largest street gangs, but a diverse network that comprised of the Young Lords, the Young Patriots, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Students for a Democratic Society, the Brown Berets, and the Red Guard Party. Hampton's efforts also began visibly changing the most impoverished parts of the city. He changed the activities of these street gangs from just being gangbangers to becoming political. Instead of expanding their drug dealings, gangs like the Disciples began massive picketing campaigns protesting the lack of minority hirings at Chicago construction sites and were so successful in their socio-political efforts that they actually forced sites to shut down until they agreed to hire inner-city workers. So, obviously, these construction sites were not hiring minorities, and they began picketing, and basically were like, hey, y'all are going to hire us or fuck off, and that's exactly what they did. So the Stone Street Gang focused on political efforts against the 
you know, machine that was the politics of the 60s. And actually, they ended up getting activists and other community members elected to posts, which formerly were um, people who were not having the best interests at heart of the inner city and the disenfranchised minorities. So instead of those fuckers, they actually got activists and other community members elected. So Hampton's achievements prompted the national leadership of the Black Panther Party to appoint him as the party's national spokesman. And he was on fucking fire. So Hampton held a press conference in May 1969 and publicly announced the truce among his Rainbow Coalition. It was a noteworthy advancement in both the unification and the diverse socio-political interests and their ability to affect serious political change. This progress, politically, brought Hampton to national attention. And not just in the Black Panther Party, which you would think would be a good thing, but it's not. Because the white devil does not want someone like Fred Hampton blabbing his mouth and uniting people. So the threat to the power structure from Hampton's organizational brilliance was that it united white students with the inner city blacks and Hispanics and people of all classes. The FBI targeted the Black Panther Party with its COINTELPRO program and targeted Fred Hampton specifically. And Hampton's eloquence further advanced his young career and he coined phrases that we still know and remember today, like you can kill the revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution. And I know of no other intelligent way to act in an extreme situation other than extreme. So, Hampton was reportedly on the verge of pulling off a huge merger with the largest street gang on the south side of Chicago that literally would have double membership in the Black Panther Party overnight. And they did not want this to happen. So, on the night of December 3rd, 1969, Fred Hampton taught a political education course at a local church. That night, after returning home from teaching his course, he was murdered in his sleep under the official cover of a police raid. To make matters worse, the entire event was witnessed by Hampton's girlfriend, who was eight months pregnant with their baby. Forensic experts determined that the police version of a two-sided gunfight was an outright lie. It was scientifically determined that the hundreds of gunshots in Hampton's apartment, all but one, had been fired by police. Forensics also determined that a wounded and completely unconscious Fred Hampton had been dragged out of his bed and into the hallway, then executed by police with two shots to the head at point-blank range. According to eyewitness testimony at the scene, this is how the murder of Fred Hampton was said. Quote, Automatic gunfire then converged at the head of the bedroom where Hampton slept. Unable to wake up as a result of the barbiturates that an FBI infiltrator had slipped into his drink. He was lying on a mattress in the bedroom with his pregnant girlfriend. Two officers found him wounded in the shoulder. 
and fellow Black Panther Harold Bell reported that he heard the following exchange. That's Fred Hampton. Is he dead? Bring him out. He's barely alive. He'll make it. Two shots were heard, which it was later discovered were fired point blank into Hampton's head. According to Deborah Johnson, one officer then said, he's good and dead now. Their informant had provided the police with a map that diagrammed the exact layout of Hampton's apartment. They knew exactly where to go, and they burst through the door with guns blazing to get there. Fred Hampton Jr. was born 25 days later. Now here's the account of Frank Hampton's pregnant girlfriend in her own words. Quote, I looked up and saw bullets coming from what seemed like the front of the apartment and the kitchen area in the back. Bullets were going into the mattress. The sparks of light, the bed vibrating. I just knew with all this going on, it was all over. At some point, the shooting stopped. Fred didn't move anymore. I came out with my hands up. There were two lines of police I had to walk through. One of them grabbed my robe and pulled it open. I was eight and a half months pregnant then. Well, what do you know? We have a pregnant broad. Another policeman grabbed me by the hair and slung me into the kitchen area. I looked around and saw Ron Satchel on the dining room floor. He had blood all over him. Verlina Brewer was in the kitchen, bleeding. She started to fall. They grabbed her and threw her against the refrigerator. Then more shooting. I heard a voice that wasn't familiar to me say he's barely alive, but he'll make it. I assumed they were talking about Fred. The shooting started again, just for a brief period, then stopped. Another unfamiliar voice said, he's good and dead now. Fred Hampton could easily be one of the greatest activists who ever lived. And I would like to play for you something that I found in his own words. Um, it is a recording after he had been arrested and they let him speak during the trial. And he was basically saying, please find me not guilty because I'm working on the behalf of humanity. And I listened to it and it actually made me cry. Um, and I was sitting at my desk at work one day and I had these big tears in my eyes and I was like, I hope nobody sees me because it's just something that when you hear the truth, it triggers an emotion. <laughs> and when you are coming out and trying to unite people of all races and all classes it is a huge threat to the power structure because I think everyone knows deep down that if we all banded together, we would be the most powerful country on the planet. But we, we just, for some reason, can't get past what somebody else looks like. And I've always said that if you think your biggest problem is somebody that doesn't look like you, you're in big fucking trouble. So let's hear the words of Fred Hampton himself 
and he puts it so eloquently, there's no way I could do it justice. So let's now turn the floor over to Mr. Fred Hampton. Up in this trial. But Fred Hampton, a key figure in this community, has great reason for not wanting to be put in jail. But the state's attorney and the state's attorney's office has reason to see Fred Hampton in jail. We've got a new state's attorney, you see. And he said already what he thought about people that had different uh, political beliefs than he has. His speeches sound somewhat like those of Hitler. And we know why he wants to see Fred Hampton put in jail. Why do I have a lot of arrests? Because of harassment. Why is that harassment? Because the people that harass me have set up a problem that made me disagree with them violently, and, and they set up this problem in order to exploit me and other people like me. And why they want to get rid of me because I'm saying something that might wake up some other exploited people and some other oppressed people, and if all these people ever get together, then these pigs that are exploiting us, we'll be able to run them into the lake. That's why they want to get rid of us. And it's just, uh, it's sort of like a primary thing with me. I'm the, I'm the first move that they'll make. I'm a part of an organization who will be the first organization they'll move on because I happen to be a part of an organization, the Black Panther Party, that is the only organization, in fact, that has came out and stood up loud and clear and said that we don't care what anybody says, whether they have guns or not and badges or 18 uniforms, if whenever they step outside the bounds of legality into the bounds of illegality, then we'll blow their brains out if they're bothering the people. And what makes them mad about that? They're constantly bothering the people. Anybody that's out there for the protection of the people happens to be in direct conflict with them. What makes them mad about it? What makes them mad about it is that they have black people and white poor people and red poor people and Puerto Rican poor people and Latin American Puerto Rican people of uh, uh, poor people of all descents. They had them caught up in these movements based on racism when the Black Panther Party stood up and said that we don't care what anybody says. We don't think you fight fire with fire best. We think you fight fire with water best. We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but we're going to fight with solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight with socialism. We still have said we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state's attorneys like this and reactionary state's attorneys like Hanrahan with any other reactions on our part. We're going to fight their reactions with all of those people to get together and have an international proletarian revolution. Right on. Right on. And that's saying all power to the people. That's saying that no matter what color you are, there's only two classes. And that's saying that there's a class over here and there's a class over there. And the reason that this class over here has never did anything to get this class off its back because this is lower, this is upper, this is the oppressed, this is the oppressor, this is the exploited, this is the exploiter. And these people in this class have divided themselves. They say, I'm black and I hate white people. I'm white and I hate black people. I'm Latin American and I hate hillbillies. I'm hillbillies and I hate Indians. So we fight amongst each other. And you, you've heard the testimony of pigs here. you got pigs of all colors. You know that. you got pigs that are white. you got pigs that are black. you even got pigs that are black and white. Propagating the same type of madness that uh, uh, this buffoon Henry had would be propagating if he were here himself. And why? Because they want to keep you to believing that I'm your enemy and that everybody else that's black and that wears a lot of hair on his head 
and hair on his face. They want to keep you thinking that he's your enemy. Why? Because if ever you would disregard him and overlook him just for a minute and throw away that question of racism and started to deal with a little logic, then there, could be, there would be no one else you could attack other than hand to hand, other than David, and other than Tricky Dicky Nixon. If you make the right decision, then the oppressed people of the world will get complete satisfaction. I know you return to get verdict of not guilty. Thank you.